This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 178 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. The 2022-23 athletic year for Georgia State is officially over as the Panthers exited the 2023 Sunbelt Baseball Tournament with a 6-5 loss in 12 innings to Texas State. We'll give our initial reactions to the 2023 Buslot Boys after their second straight season with 30 wins, and we'll also look into the final commit of the 2023 offseason for men's basketball and a bit of football recruiting news as well. But first, let's talk about baseball. Georgia State baseball made it out of the opening round of the Sun Belt tourney with a fourth win in four games in 2023 against rival Georgia Southern, but one-run losses to the one-seed Coastal Carolina and five-seed Texas State on Wednesday and Thursday have eliminated them. The Buslot boys had won at two of three at Old Dominion to end the regular season, locking up the eight-seed in the tournament and serving as the home team in their eight and nine rivalry matchup. The Panthers finished the season 30-29, and 29, matching their win total from a year ago. This is the program's first time making back-to-back winning seasons since 2010-2011. So gentlemen, thoughts on this year for the Buslot boys? Yeah, I mean, packed a lot in there because a lot of baseball has happened since the last time we recorded a podcast, including in the state of California, which we will get to later once we cover all the Georgia State stuff. But... It's kind of a weird year because I think if you had said going into the season, they're going to hit exactly 30 wins again, it would feel like something of a disappointment. And I do think that when you look at some of the series you know, you lost two or three at App State, uh, dropping multiple home games against Coastal that you could have won. Uh, it's really easy to carve out a path where they get to 35 wins and, are definitely in a better seed position to where they're not in the opening round. You know, it looks better on the resume, all that said. But, you know, when you actually look at how it went down and, you know, winning five of your last six to get into the tournament and get not into, you know, just not creeping in, but you're the eighth seed, you're hosting the opening round, beating your rival all four times you play them, getting to the main thrust of the tournament. I mean, sure you went 0 and 2 in those games, but they were close and you were there, you know, last year they won 30 games and lost their first game in Montgomery and were done. They didn't have a say in the double elimination portion of the tournament. I think it's at least a, you know, it's something that they can take some positives away from. It doesn't feel like maybe the disappointment, disappointment it would have felt like before the season got started. I agree with you. And, you know, I think, likening back to something you said, I believe two podcasts ago where it was essentially just, you know, take care of business down the stretch against Georgia Southern, do a good job against old dominion and win a tournament game. And you're probably back there at 30 wins this year, like you were last year. And, you know, kind of the thought process we had coming into this season was get Georgia state to 30 wins and you know kind of improve upon their 30 win season last year make a little bit more noise in the sun belt you know kind of not necessarily push for a regional but you know try to push for a regional and you know you want to see the improvements because of you know what's coming up next year and i think coming down the stretch there was some you could definitely feel a tenor of disappointment um but then i mean they rattled off those five wins you know the two against 
Old Dominion, the three against Georgia Southern. They got that extra win, you know, in the tournament against Georgia Southern. They got to 30 wins. And it's, you know, it's a weird season because you look at it and you're like, well, you know, there was that big feeling of disappointment just a short time ago. But then, you know, if you kind of step back and look at the bigger picture, they did something that they didn't weren't capable of doing last year. They had another 30 win season this year. Um it's 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 tough because I think you could take the negatives absolutely, but I still think that you know with the way that they ended at least there there's definitely been some positives for the season. Yeah, and you know you're looking at a situation where I think all season, especially I, I, once the games got going, it was kind of clear that the pitching was going to be where the issues were because the bats could cobble off runs, 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 and hit homers and set the program record for it. And the pitching was where you had issues and flare-ups, even from your non-conference to start the year uh, against the likes of Cincinnati. Uh, but I think that going into the semi tournament, even as the eight seed, even making things better, there was kind of an implied floor because I don't think that you were looking at it when Ryan Watson was only going to be able to really start one game, maybe two. And he's really been the guy you've been leaning on the last couple of weeks. And Rafael Acosta and Joseph Brandon have kind of piggybacked in some starts recently and so unsure how you're going to be able to utilize them or really how many people you were pointing to is like this is a starter that i am going to trust in this game you know they had cameron landry out there as the starter against texas state in this elimination game today as we're recording this podcast and he's a guy that hasn't really been in the rotation all year he was last year but it's not been the role that he's been put into as much this year uh wasn't having as much success early in the year doing it uh, so I don't think it was a situation that lined up where it was like, this is where the run's going to happen. You knew where the weaknesses were and this was not a particularly deep pitching staff, but you know, on in saying that, I think the pitching staff did a really good job in Montgomery because, you know, if you didn't notice, if you weren't watching the game, the opening round against Georgia Southern, Ryan Watson went into the eighth inning, struck out 13 Georgia Southern Eagles was absolutely on it. Uh, the bullpen got a little bit leaky, got a little bit closer for comfort than you'd want to Southern caught it to cut it to a one run game before a little insurance came in the bottom of the eighth and Georgia state ended up winning eight to five, but he did great. And I think if you had said, you're going to give up five runs to coastal Carolina, Brad Stromina would have said, we've got a real chance of winning that game. And I think you said the same thing in regulation or in the nine innings, you're going to give up five runs to Texas state you'd have felt really good about that. And those were the games where you didn't have Watson. You know, he ended up pitching in the bottom of the 12th and ended up giving up the game-winning home run against Texas State in the Eliminator. I feel like that was an implicit signal to me that he probably wasn't going to be able to start except maybe again in the championship game. And so it was like, he's going to pitch where he's able to a couple games after he goes 113 pitches or whatever it was. So, you know, you... The pitching did all that they could. It was guys just kind of cobbling innings together, and it was really impressive, and it gave you every shot. And sometimes the ball just doesn't bounce your way. You, the offense, which has been so explosive, wasn't able to get you across the line. But I think they can hang their heads high because they were in both those games against a good Texas State team and a very good Coastal Carolina team that in all likelihood is hosting a regional and you know might be hosting a super regional. Yeah, and you know, I I, I do want to give some credit to Watson just again because 
I think, you know, the end of the bullpen was kind of... Stromdahl was just out of options. And it's not even like Watson didn't just throw 115 pitches on Tuesday in that incredible start. So, like, I, I don't even want to sit here and say, oh, he lost Georgia State the game. Like, okay, whatever. No, my thing is know. this, is, like, I think it would have been irresponsible if he was able to go and you didn't use who's been your best pitcher. Like, in that situation... They had used Cameron Jones for four innings, and he did really good work kind of bridging the end of the nine innings and into the 12th inning. At that point, he just had been done. You know, Brady Jones, I think, had three scoreless innings. I think you have to use Watson there if he's up. And college managers absolutely ruin kids' arms, and it's a problem. I don't know if this is this. I don't, we don't know how long they were going to use him. Maybe he was going to use him for 100 more pitches, but I don't think that was the case. Uh, and so, you know, we'll never know, but I think that if he was available and you didn't use him and someone else lost the game, you'd feel real bad about not going to Watson there. So I'm in the same camp as you, like absolutely no sweat there. Dingers happen. Baseball. Yeah. You know, and that's it. And, you know, the only other thing that I want to say just is shout out Cameron Jones, man. I mean, like, I, I don't know how many people got a chance to just watch the, uh, the game there, but Cameron, I mean, Cameron Jones was he was doing some things on that pitching mound. Okay. Like it was I wouldn't call it the most low stress four innings, but you know, I mean he was just pumping fast. He was pumping pitches in there. Guys were fouling pitches off, you know, really working through some at bats. Um, you know, Jones was flying both at the plate and like there's a couple of tough grounders that he almost beat out while he was on the mound um during his at bats. And then I there was one play is a pop-up on the infield and you know normally pitchers kind of get out of the way they're too valuable to be really trying to get pop-ups or anything like that but nope there goes Jones flying in towards uh, between like third base and the catcher uh, (laughs) to try to get this pop-up and you know he just goes right back on the mound and you know he had a really good presence to him so I did what I know I know hey I gave so much gruff to the bullpen all year um most of it deserved in my humble opinion but I, I really think that today, at least in the Texas State game, they did a good job. You know, they obviously couldn't get they, they didn't end up getting the win. Um, but I, I really feel like they did everything that they could to put Georgia State in a position to win. Um, and, you know, that, that stuff's important. Yeah, and the interesting thing with Jones is they used him a lot less as a pitcher this season than they had done in 2022. And I'm not really sure if it was all intentional leading up to this, but I think it worked out on purpose or on accident that he was really fresh down the stretch. And so you saw him getting used in more of these situations. And it's a situation you saw him more in these situations and it was a, you know, lose and you go home game. And so Stromdahl had this guy that was, had not that many innings on his arm in 2023. He could go out there in that game and just push, for four innings and get through the bulk of that late game. And at any point, if the offense had got a run across, he'd be out there closing it. And, you know, it wouldn't necessarily had to go to four innings. I think they'd have hoped the game would have ended before then. But I think if it was a strategy of just saving an arm or just managing the number of innings he throws, I think it was smart. I think it was savvy. And if it wasn't, I hope they pretend that it was and take the credit for it. Because I think it really worked out down the stretch. You know, you had Brady Jones kind of emerge in the bullpen and 
I don't know what he does in 2024, but he's a guy that you're going to have in the program and maybe he moves into a starting role because those are going to be available. I think the one way that you'd point to this as a disappointment potentially is that you knew that Ryan Watson was a senior. You knew that uh, Rafael Acosta is a senior. Joseph Brandon is a senior. Both of those guys were back for their fifth years. They can't be back. You're probably going to lose a few of the guys hitting um, because they're going to be available to go to the draft. So this did feel maybe like a year that you had to do something because next season might be more of a rebuild. But with the recruits the Stromdahl's brought in, I don't know that that's a given. And I don't think that you can, you know, Georgia State, where where they've been as a program the last decade, can really look at things like that. Like back-to-back winning seasons, no matter how they come, haven't for Georgia State in the last 10 years. And so, sure, you'd look at a 30-win season after a previous 30-win season and kind of go, yeah, it could have been more. But I really think that it's still progress in the sense of like where this program has been. I still think with the recruits that they brought in, I don't know that you have to be too down about it. And so I guess that's where my my head is going into 2024, which we're here now because uh, the athletic season as a whole is over. Uh, again, kind of in the same boat as like things didn't go great for Georgia State in 2022, 2023. I guess my thought is kind of like this happens and it does put into perspective how nice it is when you have the seasons where football and basketball all fire in the right direction. You're going to the Bulls and NCAA tournament games because this year was not that at all. Uh, but the silver lining for Panther fans is your rival Georgia Southern basically has no bragging rights, even in what was probably your worst athletic season in a decade, more than a decade. It's been a while since things have been this bad, but beat them in football, won one basketball, swept them in their supposed baseball school sport, baseball. Uh, I guess it's little things, and maybe those things are bigger for some of you listening if the rivalry is a big deal, so maybe not a little thing. Certainly, that's at least what you can point to. When you're saying stuff like that, obviously the season didn't go well, but it can be just one year. I will be surprised if both of the major sports are down like they were. I'm not promising anything in football or basketball. I just feel like these things are cyclical and they happen. And I like the chances of at least a turnaround in one of those sports in 2023, 2024, you know, speaking it into existence and all that. I agree. You know, I mean, Hey, <laughs> I will be honest and say that there is probably nobody more glad that the the athletic year is over than me slash us. Um, but uh, I mean, there were still some positives, right? It was not a good year. There were things that I think the Panthers know need to be better for next year. Um, you know, there's no... There's no moral victories necessarily, but there are some, you know, small victories that you can say. And the things that you alluded to as far as Georgia State versus Georgia Southern, you know, that that does matter to a point. Um, I'm sure, you know, throughout the total dead in the offseason, you know, we'll kind of get into our thoughts on next year, you know, dive a little bit deeper. Um, yes, but we yeah. will not be doing a 2023 win total uh, podcast in May. Maybe June, maybe July. I don't know how bored we're going to get, but we are not doing that now. You're going to have to wait for those football takes. 
Honestly, I think we should do it now. So later on in the summer, we can go quarter by quarter for each football game and talk about our predictions for what we think is going to happen. Because that, I mean, that's what the people really want, right? Yeah, I guess you've spoken that. If that is what you want, let us know. We'll, I guess, go super, super granular if that is what the people want. We are, after all, doing this for you, the listeners. I have skepticism that's where the direction is going to go, but I'm willing to be surprised and willing to go mega, mega deep on some football games that will happen in like five months. Let's do it. All right, let's go ahead and switch gears and talk about some commits we've just gotten recently for the Panthers. Uh, One last commit is in for Jonas Hayes and company. ETSU transfer Josh Taylor has announced his intentions to transfer to Georgia State. He was originally a signee with the University of Georgia out of Norcross High School, and he is a six foot eight forward who averaged 7.2 points, 5.1 rebounds, and one block per game for the Buccaneers in 2022 and 2023. Taylor is the ninth and, for now, last new Panther to join this offseason in an offseason of upheaval following a disappointing season on the hardwood. Gentlemen, thoughts on Josh Taylor? Yeah, I mean, you look at this with the other additions that Jonas has made in the front court, and it feels like another in the exact same mold as, you know, Leslie and Carolum, uh, Jaden Turner from Queens. It's guys that have got some experience, uh, not necessarily, you know, your twin towers, like huge tall guys, but athletic forwards that have some college experience that can rebound the basketball and, you know, high pedigree, high pedigree in the sense that he was a guy who's a three-star commit who committed to an SEC school out of high school, obviously didn't last there. But certainly someone that along the line in the recruiting process had a lot of good programs looking at him. And so it adds another person into it to where I still really can't fathom, you know, how the rotation is going to shake out. It's way too early. But, you know, whether it's him, whether it's Leslie, whether it's Jaden, even when you've lost Jaheim Hudson, I feel like you feel like production is going to be there in the front court. Maybe not as much. You know, maybe there isn't a guy that's going to score like Jaheim did, but it feels like a more reliable front court rotation than you had last year, which given the last year didn't go great, certainly anything that is an improvement on the last season, you can take away as a real, real positive. Yeah, you know, I I mean... I feel like we have the same thoughts on basketball. Um, it's it's really going to be interesting interesting to see how all of these guys mesh. Um, you know, I love the size. You know, we talked about some of the other transfers that have come in this off season. Um, you know, we've talked about two things. I mean, at large, we've talked about shooting. The shooting should be better. We've also talked about size. Not necessarily the bigs. Um, I do, I do think there's a healthy uh, a healthy group of bigs here. But just, you know, getting guys that are six, eight, you know, like I, I feel like we didn't have the nice quote that Coach Lanier had when Coach Hayes came over. Um, but I think there is something to be said about just getting a ton of guys who are in that six, eight and taller range. I mean, it really does help um, as it relates to roster construction and, you know, kind of some of the things that you can do and the lineups that you can look forward to, especially if guys, you know, like. Josh Taylor can shoot if they can dribble. Um, you know, obviously he didn't play a he played a good bit last year. I, I was gonna say he didn't, but no, he he didn't play a good bit last year. Um, and I, I think there's there's certainly things that he could improve upon. 
Um, I don't know that I would necessarily call him a prolific shooter, but I mean, I, th- I think he's got some outside shot for sure. Um, and you know, it's, it's more so about taking the right outside shot, which, you know, I'm only looking at a box score obviously, but you know, if, if we're scouting a box score you're hoping that, okay, he went one for three in this game against, for example, Citadel, but you know, the three shots were, you know, off of some action and he was open in the corner and, you know, you want a guy like that taking shots. You don't want him to be taking 10 a game, but if he's got the wide open look, because that's what your offense has been doing, then yeah, absolutely take that. And, and I, you know, I think especially with his size, if he's able to, you know, provide some space out there on the wing, but also do, you know, good things, inside the pain and finish at the rim. I mean, that's a huge weapon for Georgia state. And I don't know. I don't know where he kind of fits into the puzzle. That's, you know, something that coach Hayes and company are going to spend literally all summer figuring out the puzzle pieces that they have. And, you know, even getting into November, December, and January of, 2023 2024 that's what they're going to spend all of their time doing but i mean i i like the addition if i'm only looking for a box score i like the addition yeah it's funny because he's 6'8 he's listed at 6'8 and i feel like it's possible that he's going to be playing the four while someone who is smaller than him will be the center you know quote unquote because he does have the three-point shooting and it's not been a ton you know against d1 teams he took 30 of them this past season for ETSU, but he made 12, 40% on threes. You know, you have to honor that no matter how few times it's in the scout on a guy that, you know, you can't totally leave him. So I'm interested to see how that translates, but I feel like that's secondary because I do think you added a lot of that with guys like Mackie guys like Tenary lane that you feel are going to be taking more of those threes. And, you know, even Brendan Tucker and Jermaine Mann, as we've talked about in maybe less of a percentage of the team, number of shots that they're taking from three can still be reliable. You know, I, both of them have had better three point shooting years or, you know, Tucker certainly has than he did last year. And I still am confused by man's percentage was as low as it was. Cause it did look good. A lot of the time, it just, the shots weren't falling, but moving on from that, I'm not really focused on the perimeter stuff from Taylor because I look at a guy, another guy who is shot over 60% from the floor from on twos this past season. And it's kind of part and parcel of like where I see all of these front court additions mattering on the offensive side. I don't know who's going to score what, and I don't really expect still anyone to average double figures um, out now that Jaheim is not a part of it. Cause I was obviously expecting that from him. It's just more guys taking better percentage looks because Georgia State got stagnant a lot on offense this past year and got to where they were just forcing shots that were exactly what the defense wanted. And the more guys you have that you trust that can get down low and get shots at the rim, that know what shots to take at the rim, it just gives you a better chance to have that offense where you're just not going through the ruts that you had because you have some kind of action you like with these guys that you can work something with Dewan and get them easier looks down low because I just think that when the the team was struggling at its worst they just were not making it easy on themselves because they weren't getting themselves into the right shots and I think you add another guy in Taylor that's obviously shown that he can maybe be a little bit selective down low he isn't trying to get you know every time he touches the ball in the paint he's not trying to put the shot up and I think that's a good quality because I think you have the guys that you 
want to take the bulk of the shots, but you want the guys that are taking, you know, five to eight shots a game to be taking really good looks and making them because, you know, that's what Georgia State was missing. It showed in their depth a little bit where they just weren't having as many guys hitting the score sheet and, and not having many guys shoot good percentages from the floor. I think you've added some some opportunities and we're going to see how the division of shots shakes out, but that's what my takeaway offensively is. And last but not least, we also have some news in football who got a transfer commitment as running back Freddie Brock is making the move to Atlanta from FCS Maine. Brock ran for 260 yards and three touchdowns for the Black Bears in 2022, and he found a lot more success with a team-high 720 yards and 10 TDs in 2021. Gentlemen, thoughts on Brock? I must be missing somebody, but I'm currently looking at the running back depth chart, and it's Adams, who we, you know, we know, Dixon, who we know, and then Marcus Carroll. And obviously, you know, Darren Granger is going to probably lead the team in rushing, not because of the talent at running back, but just because of how the offense works. Um, but I, I, when you look at the announcement that they Georgia State signed another running back, you'd say, okay, I felt like the running back room is pretty full. But then you kind of look at it and you're like, uh, I mean – Depth is important, and I I don't know that the running back I don't know that there's you know a second guy that's on Carroll's level that you can just immediately say yeah okay you're gonna be you know this huge Sun Belt back and that's not to that's not to say that there isn't the potential there you know I just we haven't seen you know Casey get all of those touches we haven't seen Dixon get all of those touches um, so yeah I mean. I welcome Brock. I like the addition. And, you know, I hope that there's a really good, strong competition for that, you know, Carol. I, I don't even want to say backup because Georgia State uses like four running backs anyway. So it's it's not even going to be a backup situation. So I'll say that Carol compliment, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a pure depth play for me. It just feels like they looked at it and said, we just need experience. Like you, you were just laying out like. KZ, you feel like could be really good. The team is certainly very high on him when you hear them speak about what KZ Adams is and kind of have done for two springs in a row now. But he hasn't played hardly. He's got, I think, a carry to his name at the collegiate level. And you're added a couple, you know, Charlie Pace running back out of Colquitt um, and Jalen Foster, I think, is a starter running back who's an athlete out of Greenwood, South Carolina. So you added a couple of guys in the high school ranks. But other than Carroll, you're, you're right that no one on the roster has really played running back at the college level and done much. And so I don't really know where I set like my expectations for what Freddie Brock is. It, it probably is more like what his numbers were this past season than it is the year where he led Maine in rushing yards. But I think that's fine. I think that you think you've got your one-two punch in Carol and Adams, but now you've got a little bit of injury protection. You've got another guy you can share the load. And you've got a guy that, you know, he did have that in his back pocket. The two years ago, he did lead the team, had 10 rushing touchdowns. So it's a guy that's had success at the FCS level. And, you know, I guess there's a little bit of the diatribe of it's a guy coming from a school like Maine. He was a backup at Maine, but I get less sucked up in that type of stuff, especially because... That's the first thing anyone said about, you know, Thomas Gore or Jamari Thrash or 
Jamar, uh, Jamil Muhammad transferring from Georgia State. And obviously, we didn't like those moves for what they impacted on the Georgia State side, but I think we'd be a little bit, you know, getting over ourselves if we were talking about how, like, these schools should know that Georgia State isn't just a pushover while also being like Maine, backup running back from Maine, because situations are different. So I'm interested to see how it plays out. Still kind of expecting it to be the Carol and Adams show, but one injury can immediately test your depth as we saw on multiple positions last year. And so you certainly can't shy away from adding depth to even what you think is going to be a strength of the offense in the running game. All right, that's it. That is all we've got to say pretty much about the 2022-2023 Georgia State athletic year. It's been a it's been a long one. It's been an interesting one. Gentlemen, I know at the top of the show you mentioned your trip to California last week. Uh so why don't you uh why don't you go in a little more detail about that? I know you guys went to go watch some baseball, is that right? Yeah, and this is where you connect it if you're here for the Georgia State stuff and the rest of the talk. I feel like we've given enough of a window to we've covered all the bases and now we'll do a little bit of like uh talking about ourselves. Uh yeah, it, it, you know, five of us and then four for the second part. Three baseball games in six days. We hit Dodger Stadium, we hit Angel Stadium, and we hit Petco Park in San Diego. Did more of the touristy stuff in between, rode some trains. Uh, it's certainly one of the more ambitious trips I've been on, uh, and I was certainly you know, not ready for it to be over in the sense that it was like not fun, but I enjoyed not being in transit anymore once I got back Tuesday evening, for sure. But uh, a lot of fun. Brady is very much an introvert, and that's why we love him. <laughs> no shame. Literally gotta, no yeah, shame at all. I had to recharge my E, you know. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was fun. I'm, you know, it's it's weird that as somebody who is, you know, blessed to be as well-traveled as me, I haven't been to California in uh 22 years um and it's not it's not a west coast thing i've flown over california several times i've been to even as late as last year i went to seattle for the second time in my life um and i just california was just the state that i just never got around to going to and i mean it was a little colder than i expected not necessarily cold um but it kind of felt like a spring chicago week instead of a spring california week at least what i was expecting but i mean it was a blast man i seeing those three parks just you know it's it's definitely different seeing them in person than watching them on tv and it's kind of been something that i've only been able to watch on tv throughout my life um, but yeah, it was a blast. Truthfully, an incredible time. So it's fun that you guys went to go see all of those different stadiums. Uh, my dad actually used to work as an usher for Angels games back in the, oh man, was that the, uh, that would have been sometime in the late seventies, I think like right around the time he would have been graduating high school era. So he's got all sorts of stories. He's got stories, uh, going to Dodgers games as well, of course, uh, growing up out there. And I've been, I've been on the uh, same train you guys went on Pacific Surfliner, right? Yeah, Pacific Surfliner. And you teed me up all right because yeah, I had been to all three before this park, thankful enough to have, you know, had the opportunity to go out west more recently than David has and catch some baseball games. But when I went to Angel, I think it was 2011, because it was Albert Pujols' return game, or the first time he was playing the Cardinals after he left them. And I had not that high of an opinion of 
Angel Stadium at that time. I sat up top and I basically remembered nothing from the game. And I was glad to get back because they had done enough little cleaning up around the uh, the concourses and put up some like flashy signs for all the new you know, fare and had a good you know food selection, local beer selection, all that tie-ins with the local brewery that had um it was called halo light which is like a light lager that was like branded with angel stuff and it just it was nice to go back because it's easy to remember that like all of these you know stadium rankings and everything that you know anything you go to whether it's stadiums whether it's you know concert venues cities it's so dependent on like your experience at that time because you know, you could go to a city that everyone values is like, those are the best city ever. This is the best stadium ever. And like your experience might line, not line up exactly. And so it was nice to get a second shot at angel and grew in my estimation. And, you know, I think everyone who, you know, looks at the stadium stuff, I don't know listeners are as into baseball stadium lore as we are, but Dodger and Petco are certainly in like the top 10 top five of almost anyone who does these type of rankings and those certainly lived up to the bar um dodger up in chavez ravine uh, we bested the traffic getting in and didn't deal with that much out going out which that's the biggest detractor going to dodgers games is just it's up on the hill and it's kind of hard to get in and out of without you know losing your mind in traffic but it's you know gorgeous stadium petco right in the gas lamp district in san diego we spent less time in San Diego, which works because I gives us all an excuse, I think, to go back at some point because it's a beautiful city and I'd love to give it more time, uh, possibly just make it its own trip because certainly you can do that and even tie in, you know, Tijuana, the Mexican border is right there. So I guess we've done a nice little infomercial for California. It's just, I don't know. It renewed my desire to just live out there at some point, I feel. I, I still have been saying for a little while it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen just because even just the housing architecture out there, I just loved on the train journey just seeing the houses. And then I just think it's a cooler place than Georgia. Sorry to say. Well, literally cooler because the average temperature is substantially lower most of the year in terms of uh, the hot of the summer, at least. It's usually pretty good weather. Uh, I go out there, well, now about once a year, we have family who live out in the uh, LA metro area. And it's funny because every year we go, it ends up raining and it never rains ever. Well, it, it rains sometimes, but it, it hardly ever rains. But whenever we go, hey, it's a, it's a week straight of rain or you go in the summer. Oh, it's the hottest it's been in months out here. And it's, they say it's like super hot. And it's like 91 degrees. And then you come back to Georgia. It's 110 degrees. It's 400 percent humidity. Everyone's swimming around. So I don't know. California weather is nice, but it's very expensive. It is. Um I think it's funny because I spent the entire trip kind of comparing the cities that we were in to parts of cities that I've lived in. And I've only lived in Atlanta and Chicago and the surrounding suburbs. So, you know, it's I've traveled, yes, but, you know, I think one thing that I really liked about San Diego, um, specifically where the ballpark was, um it was just it was so dang walkable man like i i know that we specifically got an airbnb like near the ballpark and that was on purpose but man like i i think what would you ta- i know we took a wrong turn at some point but i think brady timed it like 30 minutes from our seats. under 30 yeah, yeah from under- when the game ended walking out of the stadium it took 26 minutes i think to get from seats to unlocking door at the airbnb 
which is insane. And honestly, I think the wrong turn that we took was just we weren't super familiar with the streets and you know we didn't want to put the gps and it was a packed on. ballpark it was, it was yeah leaving the stadium sure. wasn't super easy and you know yeah i agree with you just like walkable cities and if not walkable cities cities with metro that work is always the next best thing and atlanta has trouble with both of those things so you know i got i think it is where like our folk because of where we live for most of our lives currently live or you know formerly i think those are top of mind because um the cities that do those things better you just kind of go man atlanta's got things going for it but it's getting rinsed in some other aspects <laughs> sometimes you remember that when you go for a, a week away to other places for sure you know i definitely want to experience san diego um outside of just the baseball season and you know just spend some time there so if you move let me know so i can help you move and you know have a, a an even better excuse to go down there <laughs> yeah let me tell you this trip has tempted me once again i don't have any prospects to suddenly up sticks and go across the country but it's easy to think about it when you're just kind of in that zone for a week and just having fun with friends yeah that's always a good time and i'm glad you guys got the chance to go out and enjoy that i'd like to uh Maybe do some sports tourism of my own at some point next year. Thursday night road trip to, uh, I don't know, more than one game. That's not just Georgia Southern. We'll see. But yeah, I think that's pretty much all we got for uh, for this week. Uh, thanks for joining us again. We have more coming over the summer. We got uh, some fun stuff in the works. But uh, aside from what we talked about today, that's pretty much it. And as far as sports go until football reports for uh, summer practice, right? That's in a couple weeks. For sure. All right. So thanks for being here. Have a fantastic week. We will see you in the next episode. Go Panthers.